open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Sing aloud, daughter of Zion, shout, all ye Israel. Rejoice, daughter, and exalt with all your heart, daughter of Jerusalem. The judge of all flesh has taken away the judgments against you and has turned away your enemies, daughter. The sovereign of Israel, creator of the heavens and earth, in your midst, daughter, no longer shall you fear evil. On that day, it shall be said to Jerusalem, fear not, Zion, do not let your hands grow weak, daughter. The ageless one, your God, is in your midst, daughter. A warrior will deliver salvation, who will rejoice over you with gladness, daughter. God will renew you in love, daughter. God will exalt over you, daughter, with loud singing. Those who are grieved, those who are grieved on account of the festivals, I will remove, I will remove you from you, daughter. So, daughter, that you will not bear their reproach. I will deal with all your oppressors, daughter, at that time. And I will save the lame and gather the outcast. And I will change their shame into praises and and renown on the earth. At that time, I will bring you all home at that time when I gather all of you. For I will make you all renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth, when I restore your fortunes before all your eyes, says the God who is salvation. Thank you for taking that really long reading, Christian. Um, I'm gonna continue with the two verses here in the Gospel of Mark. Um, So friends, if you will join me. Immediately after Jesus and the disciples left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now the mother of Simon's wife was in bed with a fever, and immediately they told Jesus about her. Jesus came and lifted her up, taking her by the hand. Then the fever left her, and she ministered to them. This, too, is the word of the Lord. This is upside down. Friends, I am really grateful to be back with you, um, to be able to be in this space and worship together, both on Zoom and in person, um, and get to do that faithfully, and even in what continues to be unprecedented times as we are moving faithfully through that, grateful to be back in this space with you. So to get everybody kind of caught up on what's going on here, we have begun a new preaching project this year. So as opposed to preaching from sermon series, which we arrange scripture readings around certain topics, we have moved to follow the women's lectionary for the whole church, which is all in this book here, um, which is compiled, translated, and edited by a black womanist Hebrew scholar, Wilda Gaffney. This lectionary, or the lectionary generally, typically what we would use is the revised common lectionary, which you would find in like the Episcopal church and other Presbyterian churches, is used to organize scripture readings over a three-year period that reflect a unity among Christians and the church reading and learning from the same passages each week. But the Revised Common Lectionary has not been updated in almost 30 years, nor has any lectionary ever been organized by minority scholars with a focus on minority stories, particularly, in this case, women's stories. 
This project reflects the hope that can come when the whole church hears the stories we don't usually hear, centers the voices of the oppressed and the marginalized, and reflects updated translations that highlight the whole of who God is and reject, rejects language for God and God's people that is oppressive and harmful. So for example, in the Zephaniah passage that Christiane read for us, we never heard the name Lord appear for God. And as you also probably heard too, we heard the audience consistently and constantly referred to as daughters as opposed to sons or men. What I think we're going to find in this year is many of these stories are going to feature people who are not actually named. Maybe because the storyteller doesn't take the time to learn their name, maybe because they were not really seen by their society and therefore not seen by the church today. In the Mark passage, Peter's mother-in-law would have been on the margins, not as Jesus saw her, but as the rest of society saw her, for the multiple layers of identity that she possessed that we know of. She is a woman, named only by the men she is related to, so Peter's mother-in-law, and she is also disabled. The fact that she goes unnamed and is mentioned so briefly makes me ask and makes me reflect who else don't we see in these passages that we read? And how have we silenced and spoken over other children of God so that they cannot be seen? The story of this particular woman follows a very common theme of healing narratives through the life and mission of Jesus. The gospel stories are full of them, of Jesus healing folks of all ages, ethnicities, and genders. And I do want to acknowledge the harm of the history of the interpretation of these passages, of the way that they too have brought violence upon people with disabilities, of the ways that they have stigmatized mental illness. And sure, we can and we should critique the history of the world and how it has treated people with disabilities, a pattern you can find both inside and outside religion in history and the present. Even Gaffney makes the decision to cut this reading off right before the gospel moves into a story about exercising demons, a decision she made, and she writes, because demons don't have a place in modern society and the modern church. But it also, I don't think, is helpful for us to reject these stories altogether, because they are still here in this thing that we call scripture. So what do we do with passages like this? And I don't have a lot of really great answers or satisfying answers, but in my own practice, I recognize the value of bearing witness to these stories and the stories of those whom they directly affect. I have learned from one of my peers while I was at Candler, who was a disabled theologian, that there is a theological difference between healing and curing. Ableist society wants us to believe that people must be cured of disability or chronic illness in order to be whole. Ableist society wants us to believe that there is something wrong with disabled people that needs to be fixed or people need to pray harder. But the reality of the gospel reveals that as beloved children of God, we are already whole. The gospel compels us to stand back and make room so that all can be seen, heard, and known at God's table for who they are, not to fix them and make them fit. Well, today's disability community, and this is as I understand it as I have been told, so if I am speaking incorrectly, I do apologize, um, but would reject this desire for disability to, to leave them as applied in this passage. These stories are not told from the perspective of the disabled person. These stories are clouded with the prejudice and expectation of the culture of the time, but in what ways might they also reveal a still-speaking God who rejects the status quo? 
I think there's something to be said about the common belief in those days that sickness was God's punishment for sin, for either the person's sin or the sin of the parents, which is something that Jesus outwardly and vehemently rejects. Instead, Jesus sees them as children of God, again, already loved and already whole. And before she is feverless, Jesus also physically touches her. And in human systems in which people are seen as invisible or untouchable, seems small, but I think can be an incredibly powerful point of narrative clipping. These stories overall, and the story tonight, reminds me that humans are really good at placing labels on other people. Labels that dictate where we can and can't go, what we can and can't do. And I come back to what I was saying before, that labels render those people nearly invisible. And the gospel is full of, exam is full of examples that defy those boundaries, not only and not only remove them from individuals, but invite us into the revelatory practice of removing them from society. What I came to realize in my preparation for this um, sermon is that we are in Mark 1, the very beginning of the Gospel of Mark. And Mark, for many reasons, is decidedly different than what we call the other synoptic Gospels. So the beginning of Matthew and Luke, we get the story of Jesus' birth, and we just kind of wrapped up that season in Christmas. And I am reminded that in that story, too, it begins with a woman. A woman consenting to give life to God, her body broken for God. A woman who proclaims the good news of the powerful being pulled from their thrones, of the world turning on its head. And while Mark's gospel is doing something a bit different in the beginning, in that there is no birth story here, the beginning of Jesus' story is still decidedly marked by a woman. The story says that Peter's mother-in-law got up and ministered to them. Jesus and Peter and the crowd gathered in the house. And I don't think this is to be interpreted as some kind of domestic task where the woman is serving these lazy men, and I don't think that the language should imply that she is like cooking or cleaning, but one of messianic ministry, that this is, woman is Jesus' first servant and joins him in the radical announcement and the action that the realm of God is at hand. In the words of scholar Ophelia Ortega, we could name her as the first deaconess, an instrument, or I'm sorry, an instrumental participant in the gospel. Not because she is a woman, not because the fever left her, but because Jesus saw her and named her so. It's in reflections like these that I am captivated time and time again by the ways that so many, but in this case particularly women, have been relegated to the background, to the kitchens, to the nurseries of the church, to be quiet, to be submissive, when the beginning of this thing that God is doing is started because of how women have responded to and led the gospel movement, have proclaimed it to be true, and how many stories could we have if the church had not silenced so many of them for so many years. A movement that starts with the charge and hope for daughter Zion, for the daughter Israel calling on God to deal with her oppressors, gather up the outcasts, and bring them and name them home. A movement that compels the powerful to take a good, hard look at themselves and reflect on how we are situated in a system and how we can commit to the movement of tearing it down. Because the troubling messages that we read, this call to action, are directed at the oppressors, not the oppressed. So I ask us to reflect this week, who have we been speaking over? Who has been unnamed, silenced, and pushed to the shadows? And what will we individually do about it, and collectively. To borrow and expound upon the question from a movement in Philadelphia to end poverty, why do we worship a homeless man on Sunday and ignore one on Monday? 
Why do we worship someone who refuses to see women as objects on Sunday only to objectify women on Monday? And we can, this question can keep going. Why do we worship a prisoner on Sunday and leave people in cages on Monday? I think these questions kind of all start to tie together. And I know this is already tangentially related, and I think this sermon has kind of been all over the place, so just kind of keep going with me. But next week, one of my friends from Candler, Reverend Jackie Newsom, is going to lead us in a virtual workshop titled Reclaiming Barabbas. She is a public defender in Philadelphia, and in her pursuit of tearing down the messed up system of justice as we know it, she begins by delving into the sacred worth of each of us that we are not defined by the worst things we have done, but by who we are as human beings, who we are as children of God. And in this, she will invite us to see one another not as invisible, but divine. So I invite you this week for that conversation as we think about putting our faith into action in those ways. So that might be one example that we have to respond to that question of what are we going to do? But how, too, might we see the divine in one another? How, too, might we invite healing into the ways that we see one another? And how might we encourage one another on this journey? So for all of those questions, as we gather on this journey together, amen.